0: Happy New Year. Not a very Happy New Year. You guys don't sound very excited. Happy New Year. Yeah. You guys are more lively than the 9 a.m. service. Proud of you. So proud of you this morning. More sleep. Yeah, you guys are more rested. Well, thanks for doing that this morning. Thanks for taking more sleep for yourself. Um, If you're online with us, we just want to say thank you to all those who continue to tune in every week. Uh, we know you can't be here with us, and we love you guys. We appreciate you, and we continue to pray for all of you at home. Um, next Sunday, and just a brief announcement: Next Sunday is we're doing what we're calling Vision Sunday, and so I would encourage you guys to be here. It's going to be an opportunity to kind of hear about uh, the vision we feel like God's given us for this next year. What's going? What's coming up? What kind of things we're going to kind of push into and and do as a church and where God's leading us, and so. Uh, it also will pair well with the Connect lunch afterwards. So if you have a lot of questions because you hated what I said next week, you can come to the Connect lunch afterwards and be like, why? You know, T- Please tell us more. Why are you so dumb? You know, that's, those are the kind of questions I get often. Why are you so stupid? Uh, but anyway, next Sunday, Vision Sunday, uh, it's gonna be a good one, I think. Who knows? But this morning, we're gonna be in Habakkuk chapter 3, the end of Habakkuk chapter three and so if you guys have your Bibles want you turn there we're going to have it on the screen, but I really love it when we've got paper Bibles or maybe one on your phone and you don't need the screen um, as 2020 was coming to a close, I continued to see people posting and constantly heard people commenting about the fact that uh, they were ready to turn the page and start a new year anybody have that sentiment, like they were just ready to kind of kick 2020 to the curb and move on to 2021. And though I totally understand why we would have that sentiment and why we we, we would be ready to move on and start over, uh, the reality is that a change in a day from December 31st to January 1st probably doesn't do much to fix our world, right? So, welcome to 2021. As of right now, it's the same as it was December 31st. So. Who's excited about the next year <laughs> ahead of us? But I began to think to myself when those comments were being made, uh, 21, 2021 doesn't start off, the, or starts off the same way that 2020 ended. And as confusion in our world is sort of still gripping us and our, it grips our nation, uh, there's a ton of uncertainty about whether or not we will ever even return back to normal, per se. The reality is that Many people are still being impacted by the virus and by the economy and will probably suffer and things um, don't necessarily look up and up in the world's eyes for this next year. And I'm not saying this to be pessimistic, but this past week, it had me thinking a lot about the fact that though the circumstances around us may not change, there are a handful of things that we have full control over that we can change, that we can do. We can change the way that we respond to the current circumstances. That's something that we have control over, how we respond to it. Uh, while we were on our break, I had a crazy dream one night. Oftentimes I'll have these dreams where I get up on a Sunday morning and I totally forgot what I was going to preach about, or um, I forgot my Bible, or I'm just like stumped and I'm standing there and I'm like scattering, trying to figure out what I'm going to say. And then people get up and they start leaving and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, what did I do? And I had this dream that uh, actually I think had more significance than that. Uh, but I had this dream that we had showed up on a Sunday morning and um, we had like child dedications and all these things program- programmed for the Sunday. And I was super stressed the whole morning in my dream, just like panicking and making sure everything was happening on time when it was supposed to happen and all the cues were done and uh, then I forgot what I was gonna preach about and uh, so I got up on the stage and everything had been a disaster up to that point and I was all anxious and all I remember in my dream was that I just grabbed my Bible and I just kind of stopped and I just started reading scripture and then Begin to challenge the church and just say, I think we just need to worship. And the minute we started worshiping, it was like a totally different atmosphere in the room. And it just made me think going into this next year, for some of you that are, were around last year, 2019, December 2019, i had stood on the stage and talked about my own joy problem. How it seems like the older you get, your joy continues to be drowned out by the like, life experience, the human experience is hard. And I asked for forgiveness on behalf of our church of like, I think I have a joy issue and I want you guys to forgive me because I do not want to continue to have a joy problem. And anyway, in this dream, one of the things that I think the Lord was pointing out to me was that maybe there's a worship problem. And as we look at the circumstances in our world, there's really one way we combat what we're experiencing on this earth. And that's giving more worth and value to Jesus. We continue to worship him, to praise him, to honor him. And what was really significant about the dream for me was just watching our church kind of break out in worship, singing worship, and just like give him their all. And in my dream, I just kept saying over and over again, uh, repeating myself, Let's worship. Worship Jesus. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. And it was a really neat moment in my dream. So maybe that's going to happen today. I don't have a clue. But I say all that to say what I realize is going into this next year, there's some choices that we actually can make. And we can choose who we worship in this next year. And sometimes, you know, the whole human experience as a follower of Jesus is really built around who you will give the most value to, what you will give the most value to in your life, how you will steward what it is you've been given. I mean, the bottom line is um, all of us have been given something. Some of us, it's life, it's homes, it's families, relationships, maybe it's money, time. Go down the list. It could be a series of things. And the whole human experience is sort of figuring out how we steward those things that the Lord has given us as gifts in such a way that it brings honor to His name, that people would actually come to know Jesus as a result of the way we steward our lives. And so, worship is one of those ways, like worship, ascribing value and worth to Jesus as the only, the priority in our life over all other things, is one way that we make His name known. And it's also one way that we reiterate to ourselves day in and day out that. He is worth more than all these other things around us. He deserves our praise, and we won't allow the circumstances in our life to trump the God who's in control of them. And so, um, as we get into this passage today, this whole thought for me kind of sparked me going into Habakkuk, and um, I couldn't sleep uh, over the course of a few nights on our break, and so I just kept reading, and I just got stuck on Habakkuk, and I, it's only three chapters, so I just kept reading it, and then going back there and reading it, going back there and reading it. And I was trying to digest it and like see different things that I haven't, hadn't seen in it before. Um, but I was planning on jumping back into Matthew this morning to start off the new year. But as I was reading through the book of Habakkuk, um, it had been a while since I had spent time in this book. And as I was praying for myself and my family and our church and our city I was really struck by a few principles that were sticking out to me in Habakkuk with regards to the way Habakkuk handled a time of chaos and uncertainty and fear and worry and anxiety and stress. And there were a couple questions that kept racing in my mind as I was reading through this book. Like one, what are my thoughts about God in the middle of these times? So for you, what are your thoughts about God? When you find yourself in the midst of these moments like we're in now in life, what are your thoughts of God? Does, does your, do your thoughts of God get belittled as a result of the circumstances being so big? Um, and then second, like am I praying and how am I praying and what do we do with the looming idea of another year that could have some significant setbacks like the year prior? And so I wanna read a couple passages this morning and talk through them, and then we'll back up, do a little bit of kind of set up and explain Habakkuk a little bit to you, and then we'll jump back into those verses, and there's a couple things that I want you to take home with you. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into the word. Jesus, I thank you for each individual in this room this morning. I thank you for a new year, God, because I know for many of us, uh, it is sort of like turning a chapter, and we're starting over, and I pray, Jesus, that in the midst of us turning this page into the new year, uh, God, that we would make you the priority of this next year. God, that you would, really would be front and center, that worship would be primary for us in this next year, making you King of Kings and Lord of Lords and continuing to put you first, Jesus. And so I pray for each individual in this room as I have no idea where they're at in their life. I have no idea what things they may have placed above you, over you. Um, have given priority and value to in their lives. But I'm praying that this morning might be an opportunity for us to just step back, um, to read your word, but also be challenged by the fact that maybe there's things in our life that we've allowed to trump the main thing. And so, Jesus, we give you this time, and we pray that your spirit would lead every aspect of this conversation and that you would move in the hearts of those that are here this morning, myself included. Jesus, in your name. Amen. So, Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 17, are you guys there? Are you with me this morning? Okay, I know this sounds like a bummer message for a little bit, and then it's gonna get good, okay? Um, But things have to be bad before they get good. So uh, chapter three, verse 17, he says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes, my, makes me tread on my high places. Um, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, I think, are some of the more encouraging and hope-filled words in the scriptures But we don't actually understand these verses unless we sort of see the depth of despair um, that the prophet Habakkuk had actually been experiencing in the midst of him saying these words. And so to set the stage a bit, right before this passage, verse 16, he says this, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So Habakkuk, his name means to embrace, which is kind of significant, right? Uh, He's this Jewish prophet, lived around the same time as Jeremiah between like 605 BC and 598 BC, right before the kingdom of Judah is conquered by the Babylonians and the city of Jerusalem is in this kingdom of the, is the capital of this kingdom of Judah, But this book was written for the Jewish people during one of their most darkest hours while they're preparing for and they're living in exile as this conquered people. And this was an extremely spiritually dark time for God's people. From the top down, there was like widespread abandonment of God, people running because of the fact that they couldn't understand, they couldn't reconcile how their God that they served was actually allowing them to be defeated and taken into captivity. So there's lawlessness, there's immorality, like God's people are breaking the greatest of the commandments to love God, the one true God, they're putting other things before him, and to love people. And it was devastating for the prophet Habakkuk because just a couple decades prior to this, There was this kind of pseudo revival under King Josiah and now all of that's sort of been undone and Habakkuk was one of the few that were still remaining faithful to the covenant and it's really hard for us to live faithfully when you feel like no one else is, isn't it? It's hard for us to maintain faithfulness when nobody else is, when you feel as though God just doesn't seem to care. Do you ever feel that way? Can you relate to Habakkuk's questions and his struggle? Do you ever feel like that that God is either silent or maybe indifferent when it comes to injustice around you or maybe being done to you? And maybe you're being slandered. Maybe you're being accused of something that's not true. Uh, Maybe others at your workplace are excelling in work uh, faster than you because they're willing to cut corners that you're not willing to. To cut, And it leads you to a place of frustration because you're like, I've done all the right things and this is how I get paid back. This person makes it ahead of me because they cut corners and yet I did the right thing and I'm the one who has to suffer. And I think all of us to some degree in our lives can relate to this question in a number of ways. And the right thing to do when we feel this way is exactly what Habakkuk did. He cries out to God in his confusion, in his hurt and in his frustration. And he exposes the honesty of his soul, of his heart to God. He bears it open for God. He doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't go on with like fake religious duties and accolades and just going through the motions of of his religious duties. And he doesn't turn away from God in unbelief and bitterness as we see a lot of people doing today. Things get rough in your life. It impacts your life. All of a sudden, God's not important because all these things have struggle in your life. I was telling the first service this morning, worship is part of this, because it's like you can come in here on a Sunday morning, and if you've had a great week, bank accounts stacked, you got the new car, promotion at work, family's good, friendships are good, everything in life is seemingly really well, and you stand on the front row, and Jacob just hits it, and he's like, worshiping, and you're like, yes, Jesus, you know, like, this is so good, life is so good right now, I'm blessed, like, I'm just going to worship God. What happens on the week when you come in and like relationships in your life have been stressed, the bank accounts drained, people in your life are starting to struggle, marriages are falling apart. You go down the list and you come and sit on the front row and Jacob goes to strum that, that first song in worship and lead us in worship and you're just like, eh, uh-uh. <laughs> nope. Like, God, you don't you don't need to be worshiped and praised right now because my life sucks. And so much of our life and our worship to Jesus is dictated by our circumstances. So Habakkuk goes directly to God with this junk and he sort of is like, I've got some stuff I'm wrestling with, God, and I, I need your help. But Habakkuk sees God as this all-consuming fire. He sees him as pure and holy in chapter one of Habakkuk he calls out God why don't you give us justice punish the evildoers and then by chapter three verse 16 he sees how gnarly that punishment is that's leading to the destruction of Jerusalem and and then uh, by the Babylonians and the word says there in 16 that now he's trembling that I hear, my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He understands that God is in control. He understands that God is sovereign, that, that he will have his way, and he's in submission to the Lord. And when he sees and understands this devastation that's coming to his country, that's when he writes the passage that we read earlier, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit on the vines. This sounds really discouraging. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will what? What's he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Verse 17, what is Habakkuk acknowledging? He's acknowledging the fact that they're going to lose everything. Like the economy for the Jewish people at this time revolved around agriculture and livestock. Agriculture revolved around like fruit trees and olive trees and grapevines and then they had the crops of the field like wheat and barley and according to this verse, what parts of the economy have suffered? All of them. He continues to go down the list. The first three items, figs, grapes, olives. Anybody ever been to Israel before? Every meal you have has like figs, grapes and olives there. I mean, it's just like, what? It's, it's a, it's, there's a plethora of them. Then he goes on to the fields, their annual crops, these staple foods, the, the source of most of their primary dietary needs, and none of their crops produce. And then to tack on to that, he lays out that their livestock are dead as well. Like, do you see what I'm saying here? Even though I've lost everything, he says, even though all my income disappears, what might, uh, we might say... Like, when I lose my job, and the unemployment insurance runs out, and we're sick, and we can't pay our medical bills, what will we do? And Habakkuk goes on to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And really, Habakkuk's situation is so much worse than, worse than anything that we could ever imagine in America, Like the Jewish people had no social services. There were no homeless shelters. There's no such thing as food stamps. And during the destruction of Jerusalem, there's no well-off relatives to live off of because everybody's suffering in the midst of this. Everybody's struggling. There's no hospital emergency rooms for the sick. And so this means starvation and death. I mean, what he's talking about is complete obliteration of everything that they knew was good that would sustain their life. And so Habakkuk basically says, though it looks like all that God has once provided has been taken from me, though everything has been wiped out, and we have nowhere to turn for help. What's he say? Yet I will rejoice. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And as I was reading this, I was thinking of how I would react toward God in the midst of the situation. And Habakkuk avoids what, what I would say are like three of the most common reactions people would have in a situation like this. One, he doesn't lash out at God in anger. He doesn't say, God, you have no right to destroy your people, and you're a faithless God. He doesn't go off. Two, He doesn't pretend that the evil won't happen. He doesn't withdraw into some sort of a fantasy mode and say, that's too gnarly to think about. I'll just close my eyes and think of something else. I'm gonna go tune out and watch Netflix for a while. Peace out from all this stuff so I don't have to experience it. And three, he doesn't even say, despite all this, I'll just endure, right? Like grin and bear it. Let's just, I'll just take it. (laughs) He doesn't allow his heart to be hardened, Instead, what does he say? He says, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Instead, what does he say? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk doesn't just see this possibility that he could, doesn't just see the possibility that he could literally lose everything. He actually understands that the world as he knows it, along with everything and everyone he loves, will be destroyed terribly. So this is really bad news, right? Right? You're like, wah, wah, I'm really glad I came this morning. But in the midst of this horrible situation, he says not only I won't accuse God of being unfaithful, but he says I will rejoice in God. Like how in the world can he say that? Knowing that their enemies are going to come in and destroy their home and people's lives, lead them into captivity in Babylon, how can Habakkuk rejoice in God? And then he answers in verse 19. He says, he basically says, the Lord led me here. Verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. I want you to think about three questions that you'll probably ask yourself when you're reading through this passage. One, why does he say his feet are made like deers? <laughs> Sounds kind of odd. Two, what does he mean by high places? places. And three, what does he mean by he makes me walk? The first one, he says, he makes my feet like the deer. Does anybody else think that's kind of odd? <laughs> Years ago, somebody took me out on an airplane and they had built this two-seater airplane. And they were like, oh, I wanna take you up flying in my airplane. Like, so scary, right? This guy built the airplane. Luckily, I trusted, the dude, he'd built other planes. But it's a two-seater airplane. We jam-pack into this little airplane And he flies me up over Lake Ponderé. And as we come around the lake there, you know where the cliffs are on the side across from Bayview, and we kind of like do this flyby across those cliffs. And I look out on these cliffs and there's these like mountain goats or uh, I don't know, bighorn sheep or whatever they are. (laughs) I'm not good with animals, guys. Uh, (laughs) I'm a city boy at heart. I try, but... Um, but anyway they're like standing on these cliffs and they're just like scaling these cliffs running across them moving around like it's no big deal I'm thinking to myself like what in the world how is that thing not falling in the crevices how is it continuing to scale this cliff like it looked so awkward but we know that God has literally built these animals he's literally designed their feet for climbing Like he's built them in such a way that they can scale things that no other human can scale. They can climb to the highest heights. They can literally run over rocky terrain. And so Habakkuk rejoices that his feet are made like a deer, that they're designed by God to travel over the most difficult terrain. Isn't that cool? And God has equipped us to be able to wade through the worst circumstances. He's built you for this. He's he's equipped you to walk through the most difficult seasons in your life. He gives us the ability to get through things that seem humanly impossible to anybody else. And then he goes on to say, he makes me tread on my high places. What does he mean by these high places? For many of us today, when we hear tread on high places, um, unless you live in Washington, uh, in Idaho... Uh, your only connotation for this phrase, like treading on high places, are our surroundings. You look around, you see mountains that you can climb, that you can go out and you can get to the highest peak to see a view, you can scale something, get out there, go see it, you wanna be in nature, you wanna get exercise, and so that's our connotation. When When we think of these high places, it seems like exercise, it seems like enjoyment and hobby. But these are more recent ideas, right? In Habakkuk's day, no one exercised for the sake of exercise. Recreational mountain climbing was not a thing. (laughs) But in Habakkuk's time, these high places had this connotation of a difficult and challenging place. A place nobody would want to go unless they absolutely had to, unless it was necessary. You think of like soldiers climbing onto the highest peak doing what they have to to get up to the place so they can have a perspective that nobody else has on the enemy. But you only go to those places because you have to, out of necessity. So high places here means a difficult, challenging place. And then he says, he makes me tread on my high places. The NIV NIV translation says, he enables me to go on the heights. Most English translations use two verbs in this section. The NASB version says make and walk. The NIV version says enable and go. And then the ESV version says make and tread. And as I began to dig into this passage and study it, I kind of tripped out when I began to dissect it and understand what it is he actually meant. Because in Hebrew, there's only one verb for walk. And in Hebrew, the phrase may read a bit different than what we read it today. Something like, he leads me to these high places, he makes me go there even though I don't want to. Or as the NIV says it, he enables me to walk on places I could not go without his help. And so I sort of think both of these ideas are right, but Habakkuk isn't talking about a nice afternoon of rock climbing. He dreads what God has in store for him. He knows the path is challenging, that the path is dangerous. And in that sense, God is actually leading him to a place that he does not want to go. Yet God is his strength. And Habakkuk is confident that God will enable him to do whatever he could never do on his own. He had deer's feet, (laughs) Go places that nobody else can because the Lord has enabled you to carry out his will. And that's why Habakkuk can say he rejoices, that he finds joy in this moment because only God himself could have equipped him for what he's going through in his life. So he can rejoice despite all the craziness of the circumstances around him because God actually led him to that spot. And though there's pain and there's difficulty in that spot, he knows that God will either rescue him from the danger Or what? Allow him to die. But in Habakkuk's mind, even death itself is controlled by God and death would only come about if God actually directed it. So he can rejoice. Why rejoice? Because God is good, because God is wise, because God is in control, because he knows what he's doing and you do not. And so there's two applications that I wanna draw out of this from what we've talked about. And I want you guys to think about them going into this next year, that no matter what happens in this next year, keep these on the forefront of your mind as we navigate life. The first is this, it's that walking by faith is harder than walking by sight. It's hard. In Habakkuk chapter two, he sort of gives us some lessons about how not to live by faith. It says that the proud person searches for satisfaction and security and accomplishment and honor, that all of us desire these things. And the natural response in us to these desires is to try to take care of them ourselves, to try to satisfy them ourselves, to try to establish our own security, to try to accomplish great things on our own, to aim to bring honor to ourselves. And the natural response is the easy response. It's easy to walk like that. It's harder to walk by faith. But to the person who lives by faith, God says, don't pursue these things yourself. You won't find them that way. Even though it seems like something natural to do, I've given you deer's feet. (laughs) And the Lord desires for us to trust in him to delight in him. He will give us the desires of our hearts. You will find true satisfaction, true security, true accomplishment, true honor in God and God alone. The second thing is this, that living by faith means loving God instead of loving God's gifts. Habakkuk literally sees all of God's gifts in his life disappear in an instant. Everything that he once knew was a gift from God, gone. Which sort of makes you ask the question, Will Habakkuk love God without the gifts that he once had? What will he choose to do? Like you think of a parent who's constantly giving gifts to their kid and the kid constantly tells the parent they love them, right? But the real test of love is the kid's reaction to the parent when those gifts are no longer present. Do you love me even though I'm not giving you these things? And how easy is it for us to act that way toward God? To love his gifts to delight in his gifts and to become really angry when those things begin to disappear. To hold on to him tight and be frustrated with God because you don't have the things that you once had. And and I feel like I I watched as believers this past year begin to freak out when they didn't have life the the way that they once did. It's like, what, where's God in all this? Forget him, well, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He hasn't left his spot. He's actually enabled you and equipped you to stand up in the midst of the season. The real gift is the miracle that he's done to create you in such a way that you can stand up in the midst of the situation you find yourself in and not lose hope. That's the honest gift. And there's a big difference between I love what you do for me and I love you. Living by faith means loving God himself. And we have to be thankful for his gifts, but God is our delight. Like he is our portion. God alone is our treasure. Nothing we desire compares to God. And so as God opens Habakkuk's eyes to the, the coming of like one of the most terrible events in human history, this prophet Habakkuk, knowing that God, what God's gonna bring about, actually can delight in God, who actually enables him to walk on the high places. So my question for you is what are your sorrows today? What are your worries about this virus, our economy, the year ahead? How much fretting are you doing looking ahead at this next year? And all pain and suffering in this world we know result from sin, beginning with man's initial sin in the garden and then God is dealing with sin and through Jesus' death on the cross, he's rendered death powerless and he's promised an end to sin, an end to rebellion to fulfill every promise for those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. So we rejoice, don't we? That even though all of it could be taken from us, we've been set free. We don't rejoice because of the the pain and the sorrow but because we can be confident in the fact that God reigns, that he's sovereign over mankind, that he will be exalted by your joy in the midst of sorrow, that he will stand by you and enable you to walk over the high places, the, thing, the places that nobody else thought you can go. I mean, you think about the witness that the church has in the season that we're in. It's unbelievable. Why is our witness as a church, why will our light shine so bright? Because you find yourself living in a sphere that's unimpacted by the virus? no your light will shine bright because you're impacted like everybody else but it's not impacting you to the core like everybody else is being impacted and then people are doing flybys (laughs) across the cliff and they're like what in the world that dude's scaling a rock that i've never seen anybody scale before Like, how is it humanly possible to navigate what that person's navigating with the grace and the peace and the hope that they're navigating? I mean, that's our testimony, right? That when all hell breaks loose on this earth and we continue to stand firm for Jesus, that doesn't mean we fake it, but it means we continue to keep our eyes locked on him and trust that he's equipped us for the season he has us in. We continue to be faithful to what he's asked us to do that the rest of the world around us is going, oh my gosh, like, I need that. Because everything else in me is freaking out. There's no way I could get through that circumstance like that person's doing it. And then we're able to not say, oh yeah, it's just because I have a stacked bank account and I work out a lot and I'm like, life is really good and I've equipped myself well. No, Jesus has equipped you for this well. You point people back to him. He's the one that has allowed you to stand up in the midst of it all. Like what happens when this particular pandemic is over? What happens? Eventually it'll end, right? But what other high places are still ahead for us? There are more. Any of you that have lived enough on this life, on this earth, know that this high place right now, which is our economy and the virus and everything that's come along, political scene, everything that's come along with that, that eventually it will dissipate and something else will emerge. And that will be the cycle in our life, that there will always be things going on causing everybody to freak out. So this, we know as followers of Jesus and people that I think have lived enough life that there will be more high places ahead. And will God enable us to have great victories in those high places? I keep having this thought that we could be on the brink of one of the greatest revivals in human history. We really could, like will the high places enable us to reach people who has never been reached and to awaken the church for Jesus like it's never been awakened before? We don't wanna hide from this, we wanna step into it, right? Like we wanna be a people that would say, you know what, God has given me the hooves to get in the midst of this thing. And to do it in such a way that he is honored and glorified and he's worshiped, that he is given value in the midst of this while the rest of the world's going, when's my next stimulus check? And I don't know how I'm gonna get by and what's gonna happen here. And the believers are going, amen, Jesus, like whatever you need. It can only go one of two ways, right? Either things get real bad and I have to kind of bear it and go through it and trust you, or you take my life and even in that sense, I still win. So what are the high places you're experiencing now? What are the ones to come? And how have you been equipped or enabled to stand in the midst of the season that God has placed you in? It is no coincidence that he has called us for such a time as this to be a people with air in our lungs and eyes to see and ears to hear and hands and feet to walk this earth at the current time that we get to walk it in such a way, not that we build our empires on this earth, but that we continue to point people to the kingdom of God. We want them to have the feet of deer. We want them to be able to acknowledge the high places and know that God has not called them to run from them, but to run to them and know that he will equip them and be with them in the midst of it. So whatever your high places might be in your life, please know this morning God has led you there. And that might be a really hard thing to bite off this morning. But God's in control of it all. He'll enable you to endure it. He'll enable you to rejoice in the midst of it. You just need to trust and delight in him. So this morning, man, my encouragement to you, throw yourself upon Jesus. Give him your all. Love him with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, because the world needs to see that. They don't need to see people that run and cower in the the midst of adversity. They need to see people that say, you know what, I trust the Lord 100% with my life and if I have to lose my life, then I gain it. Would you guys stand with me? We're gonna spend some time singing some worship songs and we're gonna take communion together. couldn't think of a better day for us to partake of communion on because we take communion in remembrance of him and i'm really hoping going into this next year you guys that there's a fire ignited in our church in the church like never before but here's the issue is what do you do when you've got thousands of christians standing around saying i want to see the fire and i want to see the revival but nobody actually wants to step into the game And revival happens when people begin to latch onto the heart of God and begin to move as he says, go, jump into the high places and trust God 100% with the outcome. So what are we going to do? Are we going to live this year and get to the end of it and then go, oh, another crummy year, you know, 2022 is going to be the same? Are we going to say, no, we're going to actually, we're going to, take track for Jesus this next year. We're actually going to do this thing. We're going to give it our all. We're going to seek him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to worship him and him only when the world throws everything else at us that it says we need and we need to value. We're going to actually place those things in the right order and prioritize them in such a way that Jesus always comes first. So where are you at this morning? Is Jesus... Have you invited him into those high places with you? Do you believe that he's enabled you and equipped you to stand in the midst of it? Do you feel supernaturally charged to literally stand in the midst of it and proclaim the glory of God and point people to him even though all havoc is being wreaked around you? Would you pray with me? Jesus, it is a true honor to live for you. It is an honor Lord, to devote my life to you. I gave my life to you at 17, Lord. I gave it all to you. And I pray for all of us here that we would look back on the day that we surrendered to you and acknowledge that we didn't offer you half of it or a quarter of it or a piece of it. There was nothing that we were to hang on to. It's all yours. And so, Jesus, we want to give you worthship this morning. We want to honor you above all things and value you above all things. And I pray for each heart, each soul represented in this room this morning. God, I know some in this room are struggling, that they're in the midst of a situation in their life that seriously seems unbearable. And I pray that you'd remind them this morning that you have equipped them for this. God, I pray against the enemy's wicked schemes to use circumstances to actually allow our hearts to wane. But I pray, Jesus, that you'd supernaturally build us up and edify us and enable us and equip us for the season that we find ourselves in. And I pray, God, for this revival that I think could take place on this earth in my lifetime. And I just am praying, God, that it'd start with a few hundred. And it'd fan out to thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions. And Jesus, that we would live to see the day where there's just millions of people sold out for you, willing to surrender everything and walk away from everything to make you primary in their life, Jesus. So we give you honor and praise this morning, Jesus, as we enter into this next year. May you come first, God. May we prioritize you and give you the value that your name deserves. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.